But praise the Lord, we have a God that is perfect. That's a problem, right? A perfect God, because we're not perfect. And it, what makes it so difficult is, is that we live in the flesh, and we live in a world that's dominated by fleshly things, fleshly desires, flesh, fleshly ideas, uh, philosophies, um, uh, the fleshly lack of truth. Um, truth can be whatever you want it to be these days. And so having something that's before you as perfect is very intimidating and is very difficult, and it creates a lot of problems, which also creates a lot of wrong thinking. And so uh, Paul has been very, very particular to go slowly and through this idea of what is the gospel? Because he tells us that it is the power of God for righteousness, to do rightly. It's actually God's righteousness imparted to us through the power of the gospel, through Christ's work, his death, burial, and resurrection on the cross, the good news that we have a Savior for our sin. And he presented this work to us as being powerful. It's to be sufficient for everything we need in living or in life and in godliness. The problem is, is when we live in this fleshly society, it likes to twist all of those things. And it likes to make them whatever seems right for themselves. The Bible tells us, you know, Solomon wrote in Proverbs, there's a way that seems right unto man. I like that word seems because that emphasizes the, the rightness, right? It, there's a lot of times in our, in our feelings, in our emotion, in our doings, in our organization of things, there's a lot of things that seem right, but Solomon said, but in the end, it leads to destruction. And we see that played out a lot of times in our society, in, in a lot of things, a lot of ideas. The gospel is right because it's based on God's righteousness, his goodness, his complete good work. It's not just any good work. It is his complete, holy, self-sufficient, above all things, all-powerful work. It's his whole, complete character. The gospel is surrounded by all of God's character. The problem is, is the world can't stand that because we're characters. We want our character to, to control the gospel, but we can't do that. So we've been talking about God's judgment or the principles of judgment or learning about judgment and what judgment really is because the world really struggles with what is right judgment? What is, how can we judge rightly? What is right? What is wrong? And what is you know, right for you could be wrong for me is how the world would put it. But the reality is, is that there is right and there is wrong. There is a perfect judgment. That's what makes the gospel so powerful and complete because it is based on God's perfect righteousness. He is right. So he can judge rightly, fairly, completely. But we struggle with that. That's why we've been going through and looking at all of these texts very closely. So this morning, we're going to look at defining God's judgment a little further, Other, uh, a couple more principles, and that is this, that it's based on God's righteousness. 
righteous standards. It's, he is the right standard. When we think about judgment, we can't base it on a bunch of other things. There's a lot of what ifs. And a lot of people look at the Bible and say, well, God is just not fair. His judgment is harsh. And he is very harsh. He's not, his judgment's not loving. It's not caring. And we hear about that a lot. We get a lot of questions. It's like, I want to know more about this judgment because it just doesn't seem right. And that's really the crux of the matter. We judge many times based on feelings or what we think, not on who God is. And so we'll look at that closer this morning. So let's pray and then read our text in Romans chapter 2, verses. we're going to look at verses 11 through 16, but look intently at 13 through 16. Lord, we ask that your word, your character, your truth, who you are would come out from these words. Lord, that we would view this not as any, any just any person or anybody's words that come from our world, but Lord, that we would see this as your right and true and holy word that comes from you, that your character and who you are would dictate these commands and these principles that we are learning. Lord, I pray that you'd open our eyes and our ears. May we hear you and not hear the voices of today. Help us to understand and direct our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Romans chapter 2 and verses 11 and following says, For there is no partiality with God, for all who have sinned without the law will also perish without the law, and all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. For it is not the hearers of the law who are just before God, but the doers of the law will be justified. For when Gentiles who do not have the law naturally do the things of the law, these, not having the law, are a law to themselves, in that they demonstrate the work of the law written on their hearts, their conscience bearing witness, and their thoughts alternately accusing or else defending them. On the day when, according to my gospel, God will judge the secrets of men through the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, there's some really interesting things. The lawyer has come out. Paul, being a Pharisee of the Pharisee, a Jew of the Jews, who was groomed to be the chief ruler of the religious sect in Israel, before he got saved and before Christ got a hold of him, and now he's a lawyer for God. And he's bringing out a very legal standpoint. In fact, if you, if you outline this and you look at it, um, it's like a brief. It's like what you would see in an affidavit form. It was very interesting as I looked at it. it was, uh, I didn't know how I was going to outline this, and so I clumped the two groups together. You have the Jews who believe they were in right standing with God. And then you have the Gentiles, which means the rest of the world. You were either a Jew or you were a Gentile. And later on, it became either Jew or Greek. Um, so basically, it was either you were the chosen people of God, the Jews, or you were the Greeks and the rest of the world, 
And God was showing that it wasn't about Jew or Greek, but it was about Christ. And so he is taking down a lot of these dividing walls, and he's also setting things straight when it comes to judgment, and that God is rightly judging all men according to what is right, according to God's standard, not their standard, not their desires, not their wishes. And the first thing that we come across is that there is no preferential treatment for having the law. The Jews were very big on this, like, we have the law, we know the law. And because we have the law, we are right with God. And God says, no, there is no partiality, there is no preferential treatment. Just because you have the law doesn't mean that you are saved. Just because you know the law doesn't mean that God's going to just say, okay, you're fine. In fact, take notice of the point in which Paul says, all have sinned. Whether you have the law or you don't have the law, you're, you sin. You sin with the law and you sin. And he's using the context there, all. It should remind us of what he goes on to further say. He goes on to expand that judgment to remind us in Romans chapter 3, verse 10. And again, he quotes the law. He quotes back from the prophets in Isaiah. And he says in Romans 3, verses 9 through 12, he says, what then? Are we Jews any better off? Should we have preferential treatment? Not at all. For we all have already charged that all, both Jew and Greek, are under sin. As it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understand, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have all become worthless. No one does good, not even one. There is no preferential treatment just because you have the law. There's no, pre let me put it this way to, for us to understand. Just because we have a Bible doesn't mean that we receive preferential treatment. Just because we've read the Bible doesn't mean that we have preferential treatment. We're still under judgment. Just because we've heard the Bible read to us doesn't mean that we have preferential treatment. Let me go a step further. Just because you've been to Bible college or seminary doesn't mean you have preferential treatment. I know plenty of guys that have made it through seminary and then gotten saved afterwards. It happens. Todd Friel, if you've, ever, you know, you've done evangelism here at the church and you talked about sharing the gospel, you know Todd Friel. He used to be a, a, a comedian, a stand-up comedian and he went to seminary as a stand-up comedian to learn the Bible, and he thought he was saved, and he wanted to become a pastor and a stand-up comedian. And he's very funny, he's very entertaining, but he found out he wasn't even saved. And that's why sharing the gospel is so important to him. He does it in a funny way many times, but it's very important. He does a very good job at it, and, but there's no preferential treatment. And we see that in the text. All are condemned under sin. All have sinned. That also connects us to the next passage. The way that Paul writes us, it's, it's connecting in that. And so you need to remember that. All have sinned. There's none righteous. No, not one. But then he says something else. He says, hearing the law is not enough. Right? He says, um, you know, 
Pharisees. For it is not the hearers of the law who are justified before God, but the doers of the law that are justified. Now remember, he said all have sinned, and because all have sinned, all are under judgment. So don't let that confuse you when he says there. But you notice that the hearers of the law is not enough. You have to be perfectly, continually, completely keep the law. Those are the verbs there, by the way. You, you can't just say, yeah, I did the law, and I'm good. That's not the way it works. You have to completely over, you can't ever not break the law. But there's something interesting about hearing the law is not enough. The, what we find out, we know, and it was a joy for me to sit under a rabbi when I was in Israel studying, and I got a chance to take Jewish thought and practice and go to Jewish homes and take Shabbat and, and hear the singing, and they had me sing once, and that was it. I sang once, and <laughs> just keeping that recurring theme. It didn't, uh, they, the, the, the dad was real nice, and, and he sung the rest of the time. But hearing the law is not enough. And the idea in the Jewish home, the, the educational process and in the synagogues and worship, the hearing the law was very important. To have it read aloud. So whether you were at home or in school or in the synagogue worshiping, hearing the law was of major importance. It played an important part of the Jewish life. The rabbis also stressed very strongly the necessity of keeping the law based on what they heard. Which is very interesting as we, as we look at the whole uh, idea of what Paul is talking about and the word usage he's using. The, the verses here are referring to the Jews who had the law and had heard the law. He's saying it's not enough that you've just heard it. Ill, um, one of the commentaries illustrated it this way because they use this word in, we get the word usage for hearing the law, we get the word usage for auditing a class. That's very interesting. You know what auditing a class is, right? Um, I thought auditing a class was a great idea when I was in Bible college and seminary, well, Bible college, until I learned what auditing a class really was. But the idea is, is like you, you go in and you go to class, you hear everything that's being taught in the class, but you don't have to do any of the work. You don't have to turn in anything. You're not graded. And, 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 that, and you're like, that's great. I'd love to just go in and hear all the information and not have to do any work and not have to have a grade. That'd be great. I like that college. The problem is, it doesn't get accounted to anything for a degree. You can go and hear as many classes you want, but you're never going to pass anything. You're never going to have anything accounted to your credit towards graduation. I didn't like that part. I wanted to graduate. I didn't want to pay for a class, right? Go on paying for a class oh, to never get credit for the class. That's what Paul is telling them. You can't just audit the law. They wanted benefit for hearing the law, but not actually fulfilling the law. They wanted it to be credited to their account. I've passed the law class, therefore I'm right with God. God doesn't judge that way. It's based on his complete righteousness. Righteousness. 
You can't audit life with God. That's his point. They were professional auditors or professional hearers, the Jews were. But they should have had their heart proficient in being fulfilled by the law or proficient in the law. James writes about this. He's writing to Jewish believers in Jerusalem in James chapter 1, verse 22. He says this, But prove yourself doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. It's interesting. That word prove is, it was a command. He says, but prove yourself to be doers of the word and not merely hearers. Don't be like you were with the law where you just merely hear the word, but be proved that you have God's word written on your heart. The idea for proving is to make it your lifestyle and make it the habit of your life. He said, if you're truly saved, you're going to make God's word a habit of your life. That's the idea here when he says, be doers of the law. Only the ones that really fulfill the law will be justified or be counted as right in God's eyes. That's what it means to be justified. Paul is not saying that the people were saved by law-keeping. He is laying down the principle from the standpoint of the law. Where the law is concerned, deeds and deeds only matter. Galatians 3 tells us about this. We've heard a lot in Galatians from Lyle, uh, Pastor Lyle, over the last year. He's going to go back into Galatians. I have an assignment for him in Galatians again. And uh, he's working on that uh, for future in Galatians 5. He's going to move along through the book. But Galatians chapter 3, we see that it's, it says for all, in verse 10, all who rely on works of the law are under the curse. You're going to be accredited death. For it is written, cursed by everyone who does not abide or remain fully by all things written that are in the book of the law and do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law. For the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith. The law is not faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeem us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. Christ is the fulfillment of the law. He fulfilled the law. Remember it said that it had to be a perfect doer of the law in order to be justified. That is what Christ did when he died on the cross for our sin. He became that perfect propitiation, that stand-in to receive God's wrath because he lived a perfect life. Which brings us to what about those that don't hear the law or that know anything about the law? Right? Because we hear that a lot. Well, it's not fair for those that never get the Bible or hear about the gospel. And we see here Paul telling us that there is no special consideration for not having the law. God, Paul again goes back to that it's defined by God, not by man. Some might be tempted to say it's just not fair. But God is truly fair because he's above all things. What about the people who have never been exposed to the word of God? Will they still be held accountable? The answer is yes, they will. 
because they're not accountable by some magic receiving of words they're received, they're held accountable by their actions. God knows that, by the way. God's commanded us to go into all the world, to take the gospel, the good news. It's not our job to know who's saved, it's just to go into all the world and continue to share the good news. It's not, it's not our job to save everybody, it's our job to tell everybody. Right? God knows what he's doing. God is in control of all things. By the way, when you think about it, the, the Jews cloistered together, they began to worship in Israel, and Christ came, and in this land between Europe and, and Asia and the whole known world, right, except for us, you know, little corner backwater Americas, but, you know, God knew what he was doing. And when he saved Paul, and, and Paul got saved. Before that, what did Paul do? He was Saul, and he dispersed all the Jews that got saved. All the Christians that came to the Lord, that stayed in Jerusalem, all five, six, seven thousand, began to be persecuted by Saul, and Saul was even putting them to death for believing in Christ. That persecution sent a bunch of Christians scattered into the world. Then Paul, after his conversion, after he got saved, God sent him into that world, other apostles into that world, to build the church of all those that got sent. What's even more amazing is that Paul came to Rome and was persecuted. And Rome, the center hub, he began to preach and teach. And we have... Romans, the letter that Paul wrote to them. And the church became strong with the gospel. And Rome became the, the capital of the known world. And they built roads to all the other parts of the world. In fact, we know that parts of that time that they were sailing, you know, it wasn't Columbus, but they were sailing all parts around the world. Right? We, and the Roman culture spread. And so did the gospel. The persecution came. The gospel went. God has been purposely driving, even through hard things, even through persecution, sending the gospel so that people would know. So there is no special consideration because God is in control. He knows. It's not that he doesn't know and that people will never know. It's that God knows. But here's something interesting his first point is this. We instinctively do the things of the law. He says, for people who don't know the law, you sure know what's right or wrong. I don't know about you. I don't like it when people steal, right? Don't steal. Almost every culture known to man has a don't steal clause, right? Some, it's a slap on the wrist. Some, it's amputate at the wrist, <laughs> Right? Every culture is a little different on the judgment in which they judge, right? Some people, there's a lot of laws around the world, right? That's what his point is. It's for even though the Gentiles who do not have the law naturally, that word naturally there is the same word instinctively, do the things of the law. 
The word instinctively or naturally is a, it's a natural condition. It's a circumstance that's determined by birth. It's an endowment. It's an, it's an instinctive condition in all of mankind. It's a regularly established order of things that people like laws. They don't like when people break and do things against them that hurt them. It carries the idea of instinct or innate sense what is normal and right. So we instinctively do. So we instinctively do the law, so we're judged by the law. That's the first thing he mentions. The next one is that it's written on everyone's heart. Now, it's not just written on everyone's heart. It's, it's more than that. Paul is not just saying that the law is actually like physically written on the heart or we, or we just know it, the law, as people often say, but it's actually, this is actually the wording, is, is but that the work of the law and what the law requires is there on the heart. The work of the law and the requirements of the law are there present on the heart. So it's not just merely that people have the, you know, that their, their consciousness is pricked by right or wrong things, even though that they deny it. It's that the work of the law is there. That is what Paul is saying. In fact, Romans 1.18 and through 20, listen, it says uh, in chapter 1, we've already, we've already been there. It says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness, and all unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. So they, they naturally try to suppress the truth because it's, it's there. The work of the law is already present in their life. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature has been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things which have been made so they are without excuse. Why is there no special consideration for those that don't have the law? Because it's, it, the work of the law is there, present in our heart. It's natural. It's instinctive. It's also our conscience condemns us. By the way, all three of these things is often why people turn to Christ. Because they're instinctively, the law is, is there. They actually want what's good for them. There's, it's naturally, it's the work of the law is naturally in their heart. The, the, the conscience is naturally condemning them. Why do you think that people hate judgment? It's why earthly judgment is no good, but godly judgment is right. We need to define judgment based on what is right. Paul uses the conscience in the sense of an independent witness within which examines and passes judgment on our conduct. In the Christian, this examination and judgment should be especially accurate because their conscience is enlightened by the Holy Spirit. In Romans 9.1, we, we see this. The reality is, is God's judgment is right. Because God is right, 
in man is not right. Man is not righteous. There is none righteous, no, not one. You see why Paul says in Romans 1, 16, that the gospel is the power of God unto salvation and for his righteousness to be revealed to us. The gospel is powerful. When we, we change judgment, we take away and we reduce, the, we put the power into the life of man, which is powerless to save. There is none that's righteous enough to save. But God is righteous. It makes the gospel that much more powerful. If that's a correct sentence, I'm not sure. But it's more, more, more powerful. Now, I've seen that in Scripture where they repeat a word over and over to magnify the importance. There is no other name by which men might be saved. God's judgment is satisfied with the righteousness that comes through the Lord Jesus Christ. We as Gentiles need the gospel. We need the perfect work of Christ. Our neighbors need the perfect work of Christ. When we are dealing with problems in the church, we need the perfect righteous work of Christ. When we're dealing with sinful people, we need the perfect work and righteous work of Christ. How are you looking at judgment? Are you basing it off of feelings, emotions, and desires that we've been given and promoted by this world and culture? Or are you looking at how tremendously perfect and right God is to judge all mankind? He knows. He created us this way, and that's what Paul is, not sinners, but Paul created within us to understand right and wrong. He created in us, even if, they, if people don't hear the law, like the Jews said, hey, we've heard the law. Give us preferential treatment. That's not true. God doesn't judge that way. God also doesn't give out special, you know, special circumstances, right? You know lawyers do that, right? When you go into the courtroom, they, the lawyers argue back and forth for special circumstances to be considered to present to the jurors for judgment. And God is telling us, we don't get that. He knows everything perfectly in your heart. He knows how you've turned and ignored him. He knows that even though you know, as James chapter 4 puts it, there are those that know what is right and yet they still not do it. That's a sin. When you know that there's something that's right, but yet you ignore it. I don't know about you. I want this perfect righteous God to judge me. Because that means that he has the perfect answers for that judgment. And that answer is the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not to accept everybody's sin. It's to respond before a holy God with the right answer. I'm putting my faith and trust in Christ. I'm, rep I'm repenting. I'm saying that I am not perfect. And I'm turning to that which is perfect 
And I'm going to hold on to that as this is my complete joy and hope. I have Christ. Not only more important than that, is Christ has accepted me because he saved me. Do you have the gospel, the good news? If you don't, turn to him. Confess that and cling to the righteous judge. Let him save you. Let's pray. Lord, I call, I pray, I plead with those maybe right now that realize that they're not saved. They haven't put their faith in the perfect lawgiver, the perfect judge, the righteous judge. They haven't put their faith in the perfect Savior who died on the cross for their sins. They have a knowledge. They've been hearing the truth. They've taken the audited version of going to church and hearing all the good things and doing all the good things. And they want all those good things to be accredited to their life. But the reality is, is we're not good apart from the Lord Jesus Christ. We need Christ. We need his work. We are saved by his work. I pray that they would call to you based on that fact, based on your work, and say, I need to be saved from my sin. That they would respond to your gift. A gift is freely given, not because we are good, not because we deserve it. It's a gift. It's gracious. It's your gracious gift. We deserve hell, but you gave us Christ. Lord, I pray that, and I plead that someone here would just, that if they know that their conscience is pricking them right now, that law that is at work in their life, and they realize that they are not right before you, that they would call to you and be saved once and for all, being made right because you told us that you came to fulfill the law fully in our life, that joy would remain, that your gifts, that the fruit, your fruit would take hold in our life through the Holy Spirit, and we would be forever positioned in your family. Lord, I pray that if there's someone here like that, that they would call to you and be saved this morning. As we pray and as we sing, that they would do that. For the rest of us, I pray that we would realize how sneaky this, that the devil is to get us to feel sorry for people's sin. It's right that we have empathy when we see bad things happening. But Lord, may we never try to undermine what you tell us is right and what is wrong. May we allow you to be the perfect judge that you would save many by bringing them under judgment because you love us enough to tell us that it is not right. And you show us your son who is right. May we cling to the perfect work of Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.